This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to a special edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening, I have a trio of guests to perform a three-round Dynasty Rookie Mock Draft. The NFL draft is just a few weeks away, and I thought it was a perfect time to bring on a trio of guests to help me in this endeavor. So let me get them right in immediately. First joining me is John Lobb of Football Diehards and CFF On Campus Podcast. John, welcome back to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Hey, Paul, I've known you for a bunch of years. I love coming on your podcast at this time of the year, and I love Dynasty Football. Absolutely. Glad to have you back here. Next up, Andy Singleton, creator of Expand the Box Score. Andy, welcome. First time on Saturday to Sunday. Really excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. First first time, maybe hopefully not the last time, and not only Expand the Box Score, but co-host with this other uh, schlub over here, Mr. Love. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Love your work you guys are doing. Definitely going to let you guys uh, get a chance to uh, let the audience know about what you guys have been working on there. Those videos have been excellent. And finally... Tim Torch, co-host of Under the Helmet podcast and contributor with Browns Wire and Draft Wire. Tim, I know we've talked a lot over the years on Twitter. Finally glad to have you joining the Saturday Sunday Football podcast this evening. Oh, this is a great opportunity. This is uh, as uh, Chad always makes fun of me about on Under the Helmet podcast. I at one point I was a serial podcast listener, and I've trimmed it down over the years. This is uh, the one podcast that's always been a constant for me, and I couldn't be more excited and humbled to be be with such a great group and to be on this podcast. Uh, can, can I just interject real quick? Uh, I got a new follower tonight because of Tim's appearance on here. So Andrew Khalil, just a quick shout out to you. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Tim's uh, Tim's drawing some uh, listeners to us tonight and getting some new followers. So thank you there, Tim. Oh, never a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so let's let's get right into this. Let's just kind of set the stage a little bit uh, for this exercise. We're going to be doing, like I said, a three-round dynasty rookie mock draft to kind of you know uh, make the quarterbacks and the tight ends a little bit more intriguing. We took the super flex route. It's tight end premium. Obviously, a deep dynasty league setting. So we're going to go through these picks. But really, this is more of an exercise just to kind of talk about a whole lot of these offensive prospects as we get ready for the NFL draft. We know that so much changes before the draft to then after the draft in terms of what your actual dynasty rookie drafts will look like in the future. Because we know draft capital and immediate opportunity and depth chart and scheme and coaching. So much of that goes into you know what the actual dynasty rookie drafts look like post-draft. So, but we just thought this exercise is a great way of just talking about these prospects. And with a trio of other guests, including myself, it's an opportunity to hear other opinions, other takes. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that are going to generate a lot of conversation. So I thought this was a great way uh, of kind of hearing other people's takes and opinions. So we predetermined the order prior to coming on the air tonight. So the order is going to be John's going to kick it off, then Andy's going to be up next, then Tim, and then I'm going to round it out. And then we're just going to keep alternating like that and for the first round, second round, and third round as well. So let's get right into it, John. You're on the clock, 1.01. Get it started. 
This year, we don't have that Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott superstar back at the top of the board. Pre-draft right now, my number one dynasty prospect, I'm going to take him here, and Keel Harry, Arizona State. I'm very bullish on this young man, six foot two, 228 pounds. I've watched him for three years play for the Sun Devils. I've studied his film work since the season ended. He's a physical big playmaker. He has terrific hands. He makes contested catches and acrobatic ones. He wins jump balls. I really like this player as a prospect. Now, what solidified it for me was this combine and his pro day. He ran a 4.53 in the 40. I like that speed at 6'2", 228. There were some rumors that he might run in the 4.6 or above, so I was very comfortable at that speed. And then the other day at his pro day, it looks like in the 20-yard shuttle, he ran about a 6.95. That is a tremendous agility and short burst score for there. He's my number one guy in Dynasty. Landing spot's going to be everything, but I'm taking Nikhil Harry of Arizona State. Yeah, I mean, obviously great pick there, uh, John. Harry clearly in the mix, and I think that's what you said. You started out by saying there is no Saquon Barkley, and that's what makes this class so fascinating because for you, Nikhil Harry could be one. For somebody else, he could be three or four, maybe even five or six. It really makes for a very unique and interesting class, and we're going to talk about that a lot as as guys come up, and we're going to say, listen, he might be you know somebody else's number one or number two player, and I think that's going to be said maybe throughout the first round here today. Tonight. So I think it's really intriguing. My favorite aspect of Nikhil Harry, you touched upon a lot of his calling cards. I'm just going to add to it. I love his versatility to play inside and outside. I think he's going to be very productive, potentially in a big slot role at times in the NFL as well, like a Juju Smith-Schuster is for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I think in that regards, Nikhil Harry offers a lot of versatility. He checked off the athleticism box big time at the combine, you know, and then, you know, I think he's kind of done everything in the pre-draft process. I kind of expect him. I don't know if he's going to sneak into round one of the NFL draft, but I think if not, he's going to be one of the first five to 10 names we hear to start night two of, you know, of round two of the NFL draft. Tim, I want to bring you in real quick. Any quick thoughts on Nikhil Harry, the player that either John or I didn't mention? I would just say in a draft where there's so many question marks that you're trying to, if you have the 101, you're trying to mitigate any type of risk that you possibly have. We don't have Saquon Barkley. We don't have Zeke Elliott. We don't have any of those elite players. And really in this draft, I am doing everything I can to, if I don't hit the home run, okay, that that's fine. I at least want to make sure I'm hitting a solid double. And with Nikhil Harry, I really feel like no matter what, you're a minimum getting a double. Yeah, I really like that approach because I think you're right. I think he's of the wide receivers, and we're going to hear a whole bunch of them coming off the board, I'm sure, in round one. I think Nikhil Harry is one of the safer ones. Like you said, maybe you're not swinging for defenses for the home run, but the rock-solid double, know what you're going to kind of get in terms of potential consistency. I think that's Nikhil Harry, so I like that approach a lot. So let's take this to the 1.02 pick. Andy, you're on the clock. Yeah, I, I hate being at the top end of this draft myself because from anywhere from the picks we're talking about right now to the mid back end of the first, I'm comfortable with any of these guys. Maybe it's just because we've been covering them all and I feel like I've been trying to find highlights about all of them that I feel comfortable with them. But I went with Hakeem Butler here and I think it was more about just riding the wave that he's, you know, the buzz he's been generating since his 
pretty impressive combine where people are just looking at the the speed to go along with the size and and the highlight real stuff he's put together. I basically was treating this pick not necessarily that I want Hakeem Butler. I mean, we've broken down him as well as other receivers, and at the time, I I had four first round grades and. Uh, Butler was a second rounder and I told John you know when we look back we might look back at this guy and say he should have been a first rounder as well well that was about a month or so ago now a lot of people have him in the first round and I see him as high as where I took him at one two so it was like I said whether I want to keep him if this were my actual real life team or I want to just have that because that's what other people are viewing and valuing him as and then I can maybe trade that for something else it's, it was just a chip to have at this stage of the draft for me uh so that was really why I wanted Hakeem Butler I think his upside is as big as anybody's and I don't think he's necessarily learned how to play at the level he's going to need to play at a, as a pro I think he's been able to just get by on just his sheer size and athleticism to this point and once he really starts to put it into gear uh we've you know people talk about the drops and as you know we covered his concentration at at critical moments is unrivaled it's the easy catches that he drops so if he can tighten that stuff up which i think he can do that easier than you know he you can't tighten up the one-handed over the shoulder you know kind of uh uh giant kind of super bowl moments that we've seen in the past uh you can't fabricate those and those he does already. So I think if he just tightens up his concentration, there's a whole nother level that he could be on lock and we could be looking at a perennial double digit touchdown thousand yard performer year in and year out. Yeah. I mean, Butler is without a doubt, I think one of the most polarizing prospects in the draft. There are people who have him atop their wide receiver board. There are other people, you know, who are really good, reputable draft analysts like Dane Brugler and Lance Zerline, who, you know, don't have him in their top eight and think he's, you know, a second, late second or third round pick. You know, the, the gamut, you know, is really wide. I mean, Josh Norris, I think, has him, you know, in his top 15 overall players or top 20. So it, it, he's really, a polarizing prospect all over the map. I think it was Sig Bloom who I heard, first heard it compare him to a guy like Plaxico Burris. I really like that comparison. I think that's an apt comparison. And I think it was uh, from PFF's draft guide. They did a good job of talking about Butler really has a lot of versatility in terms of what routes and what, you know, where he lined up on the field at Iowa state as well. So he has that obviously vertical threat can get down the field, but also you know, did some work in the slot as a big slot guys showed his versatility there at times at Iowa state. Tim, I want to bring you in real quick. Any quick thoughts on Hakeem Butler before you're on the clock at 1.03? I'm not touching him. And I, I can appreciate that. There's a lot of people who like to highlight catches and Tim from maybe two or three years ago would have been really excited about a player like Hakeem Butler, his size, his, his big play potential, but anymore i i feel like those guys that have the 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 simple drops the the ones where you, it, it's just an easy catch that's 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 what should should automatically happen the guys like debo samuel and and we mentioned Nikhil harry those those players do the the little things really well in our technicians for me to move on to a hakeem butler i i need him to be outside the first round to even touch him Here's my huge fear with Hakeem Butler. So he was tied for 40th in the FBS with 103 targets. 103 targets, 6'6", 225, offers this, you know, a mismatch 
against anybody that's facing him, only seven targets in the red zone. So th- that to me is that's where he should be winning. That's what we think when we think of the size. And so far he hasn't been doing that. So I don't know if that was a product of Iowa state or something specifically to him, but that would be the one, one red flag I would say going into wherever the landing spot is that I, I would hold judgment on. I feel yeah, like I'm, you just expanded my box score. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, listen, Butler's going to be a polarizing guy. It's going to be really interesting to see what the NFL thinks of him because I think that'll really sway his draft capital in terms of dynasty rookie drafts. If he goes late round one or early round two, I think he has a legitimate ca- chance to be, you know, the second pick in a rookie draft or a top four, top five pick in a rookie draft. If the NFL doesn't think as highly as some components of draft Twitter do, or to, and he falls to the third round, that's going to definitely move the needle, uh, I believe, in terms of his, his draft capital in dynasty rookie drafts. So, Tim, you're on the clock at 1.03. Where are you going? This is simple for me, and it's Kyler Murray. Uh, coming out of Oklahoma, he was in an air raid style offense, a lot of RPOs, a lot of play action with Lincoln Riley. But what what I think makes his profile so intoxicating, or what can make his profile so intoxicating, is going one hundred one overall. And the reason that's important is the shelf life for for the first overall pick is generally nine years last time I looked at it. So, so when you're looking at a dynasty league and you have the opportunity to keep your, your quarterback around for nine years, that's a really long runway. And a player like Kyler Murray, not only does he possibly bring that shelf life with him, but you also bring uh, the mobility. Uh, He has a very fluid and easy, uh, arm motion so you don't have to worry as much about the mechanics uh plenty of arm strength as far as being able to be a playmaker and the speed i i've heard there are rumors that he's somewhere around the four three four four speed i i don't know if that's real or not i wouldn't be surprised if it is the one big question which which i think is there is the frame i i do think it's a slight frame but if you're talking about a player that's similar to Russell Wilson and knows how to get out of bounds and knows how to how to move side to side and evade tackles well, you don't need to worry about those type of things. It's more it's more the mental aspect, and I, I don't know what's going to happen there. Is Josh Rosen is he going to go number one? Will be my first question. Is Josh Rosen going to get moved? And of course, I. I I do think that there's a question about the possible weapons that are that are around him if he goes to Arizona. But as far as the player goes, if he does go first overall in the NFL draft, I think it's a great place to be for super flex drafts. Again, that mitigating risk. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think Murray definitely going to be near the top of a dynasty rookie draft in super flex two quarterback leagues. And I even think he's going to push his way probably into the middle of round one in one quarterback leagues. And a lot of it is with what you were just talking about, like the possibility of him being that dual threat, you know, combining his passing ability with his rushing ability. I think it's a foregone conclusion right now that he's going to Arizona. You know, they're obviously investing in Kingsbury as their coach. You know, he's going to have that up-tempo, you know, wide-open type of offensive scheme. So I think it's going to be very conducive to fantasy stats. I think they'll continue to add weapons. Obviously, they still have Larry Fitzgerald for one more year. They got Christian Kirk. They will probably look to add weapons 
at least one in this draft at some point, but then probably really attack it next offseason as well. So he's got a lot of upside, you know, in terms of the quarterback position. So I think he's intriguing. He's he's polarizing in his own right, but I think he's clearly, for fantasy purposes, because of that rushing ability, he's clearly uh, the guy at the top of the board in terms of quarterbacks. So I'm just going to keep this moving right to the 1.04 pick. I'm on the clock, and I'm going to take my guy who I would have probably taken if I had the 1.01 pick, and that's Josh Jacobs running back out of Alabama. I'm a big fan of his game. You know, obviously he a little bit of a late bloomer there. We, you know, early in the year, not getting a lot of notice, but I think by mid mid season, we really started talking about him and, you know, just how talented and skilled he was. Now he was a part of that committee there at Alabama. So we didn't have these gaudy stats or gaudy production, but when you really just watch the film and watch him, there's really no aspect of his game that he can't do. He runs with power, physicality, toughness. He will put his head down and bury somebody. You know, he basically runs a little bit like a Mark Ingram in terms of his physicality and toughness. But then I think he combines, you know, his receiving ability and his ability, you know, on the field play speed. And I know he, he, he ran another 40 time today and it was in the low four fives, you know, so he his play speed, I think is even faster than that. So I think you're kind of blending together the physicality and toughness of a guy like Mark Ingram and then Mark Ingram's former teammate and Alvin Kamara in terms of versatility. I think he's got a lot of untapped receiving ability that Alabama didn't even fully maximize. But when you did see him get out and run routes, I thought he can do that. You know, so to me, the biggest question mark about him is what kind of workload can he carry? Because he is a physical guy and he's used to being a part of a committee. But I just think in the NFL, I'm not worried as much about that. Everybody's basically a part of a committee except for a handful of people, you know, like Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, and a few other guys that I think if Josh Jacobs gets 16 or 17 touches a week and, you know, four or five of those are receptions, I think he's going to be an impact player and really have a chance, uh, you know, to make a lot of noise in terms of his fantasy capabilities. Uh, Andy, I want to bring you in. Thoughts on Josh Jacobs? I know he's a guy that some people like a lot. Other people, you know, don't have him as their top running back. Maybe they have him as number two or number three. What's your take on Josh Jacobs, the running back out of Alabama? He's not my top running back. John said at the top, there's no Saquon Barkley in this class. There isn't. There's not. And, and there's a bunch of guys in that next wave. And none of these guys differentiate differentiate themselves from each other for me. There are things about Josh Jacobs I do like, but some of the things you were talking about are, are some of the things I don't like. I think he puts his head down and tries to bully people too much uh, where, you know, maybe this is who he is and only time will tell. But uh, based on the volume of work he's received to this point, I can't say that that can hold up over a full, you know, 200 plus carry season. Uh, just the, the way he looks to attack linebackers at the next level, uh, it, it might lead to un, unfortunate health. And uh, I, you know, I, I just, I can't put my stock this high into the draft on that one trade alone. Uh, a lot of the stuff we're looking at is projection that can he do this? He didn't even beat out, you know, Damian Harris in his own backfield. And you could look at that and say, okay, well, you know, Harris was, you know, more of the, the senior guy, if you will. So that, you know, that's why that was that, that committee was set up in that way and shape. But then when you look at Damian Harris, you're like, wow, this guy's really good too. And being kind of underlooked. So, uh, or under talked about, I should say. So to see them side by side and not really feel, like one is that much better than the other. I can't justify taking Jacobs this high. Uh, I do. I don't love him. 
and I, I'm just as happy with the next guy that, that John took and Miles Sanders, uh, Damian Harris, as I mentioned, Jacob's teammate. So there are a few other running backs that I'd be happy to, to wait and let them come down to me. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you bring up valid points there. And it, it just kind of goes back to, you know, each person kind of has their own flavor of this draft, you know, and, and what they're looking for and whether you're looking for safe upside, you know, more, you know, more stable in terms of what they produce in terms of the collegiate game, you know, making a projection at the NFL level. And I think that can be said about so many of these guys. And we just keep coming back to, you know, just how much variety there is even near the top of this draft. I, I can't remember ever the names being different so frequently in rookie mock drafts leading up to the draft. It used to be like the first four or five names were pretty much locked in. It was just kind of the order they were going to go. But this year, so unique, so different. So, John, let me swing it right over to you for that 1.05 pick. I, I'm surprised that my top running back is on the board here with the fifth one. I'm very happy to pluck Miles Sanders of Penn State off the board. I think this is tremendous value. Now, I'll, I'm going to admit I was a little late to the Miles Sanders train. I bought a ticket at full price. I couldn't get the discount <laughs> price in, in January. And looking back, I wonder if I was clouded by the brilliance of Saquon Barkley. So when I was watching um, Penn State earlier in the year – Maybe I didn't give the quality of back Miles Sanders the credit that he deserved because he's not Saquon Barkley, but he is a very good back. What really solidified it for me and made me go back and grind the tape and look in more detail was his combine, his 40-yard dash, his three-cone drill, and his 20-yard shuttle checked every box of explosion and athletic ability that I could have possibly hoped for in this back. So when that happened, I said, hey, did I miss something looking at the film? What? Why did I not have him higher in my rankings? So, you know, over the next three days, I went back. I watched more of his film. And I said, you know what? Wow, 5'10", 211 pounds. Love the size. North-South runner. Determined ball carrier. I like his vision. He explodes. He bounces off people. He makes big runs. In his career, he averaged six yards per carry. So I said, look, he's not a perfect prospect. I wouldn't have him in the top four if it was 2017. All four, or 2018, sorry. All four backs last year were better than Miles Sanders. But in this group of running backs, he is my top ranked running back. Now, I will say one thing. Both Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs are dependent on landing spot, even though I have Sanders pre-draft number one. If Josh Jacobs went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Miles Sanders, let's just be absurd, went to Pittsburgh, where he's not going to get the opportunity, I'm all in on Josh Jacobs with Bruce Arians in the Tampa Bay offense with those those passing weapons. So they're both dependent on landing spot. I have Sanders at the top of the board, so I'm very happy to grab him here with the fifth pick overall. Yeah, I mean, Miles Sanders is the guy that Matt and I last summer had him in our top six or seven running backs, and that was on very minimal film, obviously, you know, and very, you know, not even a lot out there because he didn't have a lot of work, but we really liked his upside and what we saw in the limited you know, basically backing up Saquon Barkley. And this year, 
it kind of just kept crescendoing upwards in terms of, you know, where he was ranked, you know, from being in that maybe that five to eight range. Some people maybe even had him further back. And then it just kept moving up and moving up and moving up. And then on skill alone, I have him as my third back. We'll talk about somebody I'm sure later on, but in terms of, uh, draft capital and fantasy viability i think he would be my number two back right after josh jacobs so i think this is a good pick i think he warrants going up here we know it all running backs and even some of the wide receivers that landing spot and draft capital will carry a lot of weight especially for the running backs because you know immediate opportunity is so important for them so if he lands in the right spot like you said i think miles sanders could easily be a top five pick in dynasty rookie drafts so, Andy, let me swing it over to you with the 1.06 pick. Where are you going with it? So I think this was the part of the draft that I realized something was different, and it was either a tight end premium or a super flex league <laughs> because Tim took Kyler Murray at three. And so this is when I decided, all right, well, I better get an advantage here. And we've been talking a few times. We've referenced Saquon Barkley and how he doesn't exist in this class. He actually does. It's just not at the running back or wide receiver position. It's at the tight end position. This is a deep class for tight ends, and there's one guy who just feels like he's bar none the best of the bunch, and that's saying a lot for how deep this class is. And TJ Hawkinson is the one that gives you the receiving. He gives you the blocking. He gives you that feel that he's going to come in from day one and contribute and be that guy. Uh, We talked about Gronk uh, retiring uh, recently and – this would be the ideal perfect fit to just come in and be that guy. That's who TJ Hawkinson feels like. I mean, everybody's looking at Noah Fant, and you know, it goes back to the Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris thing I brought up before. Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, both on the same team. Everybody's pointing at Fant as like this generational talent at tight end, and Hawkinson's the better guy. So it, it just goes to show you that this guy, this Saquon Barkley of 2019, is just at a different position. It's at the tight end position, it's TJ Hawkinson. That's my guy, especially in a tight end premium league. Yeah, I mean, listen, I absolutely love Hawkinson. I think immediately in terms of all the top tight ends, he's going to play the most snaps right off of the bat because he is far and away the most balanced of any tight end. He can play in line. He can play detached. He can line up in the slot. He can line up outside if you want to like kind of run him a fade you know, inside the you know 10-yard line you know, and try to score a touchdown that way. I love his versatility to be able to block and pass receive to me i've said he's a more athletic version of hunter henry but i even think the ceiling is 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 above that you know when people say you know he could be you know like he's for you know former another former iowa hawkeye a george kittle or you know people have mentioned gronkowski you know in discussing his game i think that is is justified you know i i truly believe that i think he is going to be when push comes to shove i think he's going to be a top 12 pick in the actual real nfl draft too i think team like Jacksonville, Buffalo, and the Packers, any of those three teams in the top 12 could be eyeing uh, TJ Hawkinson early in that draft. So he's going to have draft capital. He's going to have playing time. He's going to, you know, team's not going to invest that high of a pick and not want to try to make him one of the focal points of the offense. I like his all around game and I'm excited to kind of see where he lands uh, at the next level. So let's just keep this going. Tim, you're on the clock at 1.07. Oh, something I, w- I just want to make sure that people pay attention to in their in their rookie drafts. When you see either TJ Hawkins, when you see the first tight end go off the board, which may be TJ Hawkinson, just remember the next guy that's probably going to be going off the board next is Noah Fant or 
or vice versa. When you see Noah Fanko, it would be TJ Hawkinson that's probably coming up in the very near future. So if you're if you're planning on getting one of those two Iowa tight ends, I would just make the recommendation to really keep your keep your eye on your rookie draft very closely to see what's going to happen next. And what else? I at 107, I took Noah Fant, and for me, I I feel he is a special player. Uh, very rare athletic traits, uh, four or five speed, one uh, over a 120 uh, speed score, plenty of lateral agility, 6'4", 249. So he meets the, meets the overall size threshold. And maybe one other piece of the puzzle that I, I just think that people aren't quite putting together with with Fant is the market share side of things and how truly special that was. If you take into account him, his likely draft pedigree of being a round one tight end and the market share of, of touchdowns that he's had during his college career, you're putting him in the same category of players like Demarius Thomas, Larry Fitzgerald. And yes, I, I am, I am purposefully saying wide receivers because that's where he has put himself there. There's not really a tight end that can keep up with his market share of touchdowns to his team. And I just think that's important because his, he is truly special and if you're going to make a comparison for him going to the next level, if you want to put Eric Ebron on him, I, I don't think that's fair, but I would say a pumped up version of him. I think the closest tight end that we've really seen to Noah Fant in recent years is Vernon Davis when he was coming out. And and I don't say that lightly because in my opinion, Vernon Davis was the gold standard of tight ends coming out of college and going in the NFL draft. So I'm excited to see what he does. And I, I know I kept, I actually left one player behind that I probably should have went with, but I, I'm excited for what the future holds for a player like Noah Fant. Yeah. I mean, Noah Fant is, is, is one of those guys with, you know, rare athleticism, I've kind of been all year kind of saying to me, he's a blend of Evan Ingram and David Njoku. And those were two of the three tight ends that came off the board a couple of years ago. And we didn't really think we were going to see another tight end class in the near future would potentially three first round prospects. And we might have it this year again, at least two and one could sneak in or, or be an early second round pick. And the thing with Noah fan is, is that, like we said, that athleticism is rare. The ability to attack the seam, get vertical red zone weapon, I don't see as refined a route runner as Evan Ingram. So that's where I've been kind of saying he has the athleticism of an Evan Ingram, or you mentioned Vernon Davis going even further back. And I could totally agree with that. And he came in a lot heavier at the combine than I think people thought. I thought he, he was going to come in more. His listed college weight was more like Evan Ingram in the mid two thirties. So he came in at the combine and did that like at like 15 pounds heavier at like two fifty. But my only concern, and I still love the player is his he's a little bit raw i think very similar to david njoku was when njoku came out so i think he's got the athleticism of ingram but he's a little bit raw like david njoku was that it'll be interesting to see how fast he's playing 80 percent of the snaps 70 percent of the snaps how quickly the quarterback trusts him because i remember you know 
a lot of fantasy players were really frustrated about David Njoku not getting on the field as much and set the valve playing so much that first year in Cleveland when David Njoku was there. And I could, I think we could see that again if he doesn't have, you know, full understanding of the route tree and the route refinement that he's going to have to show at the next level. So I, I think that's the one area of his game that I think he's got to improve upon. I think he will. And I think he could be a really impactful player at the next level. So let me keep this going. 1.08. I'm on the clock. I'm going to take AJ Brown, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. This again goes to the different variety of people in their own rankings. AJ Brown for me is my number one wide receiver in this class. Uh, Way at the top, John said Nikhil Harry felt like a very safe pick that you knew what you were getting. While I agree with that for Nikhil Harry, for me, I think A.J. Brown is even safer. I think A.J. Brown, maybe he doesn't become the best wide receiver in this class, but I think I, I think he's going to become a really good wide receiver, even if he doesn't have the highest ceiling. I think his best spot is a big slot. You know, again, another one of those guys like Juju Smith. I think that's where he fits best. He had a lot put on his plate at Ole Miss. I know we talk about sometimes the other Ole Miss wide receivers and they weren't asked to do a lot. A.J. Brown was. That offense ran through A.J. Brown. He had a, you know, he ran a lot of different routes while they were inside. He had to do a lot of different things as the focal point of that offense. I love his physicality. I love his strength. I love his hands. And I, I think he checked off a box at the combine that I didn't even know he had in terms of better athleticism than I thought he was going to show that I think he even has the capabilities to play outside a little bit as well. So I'm excited to get him there at 1.08. John, any thoughts on AJ Brown quickly? And if not, you could take it right to your 1.09 pick as well. Paul, I agree with you with A.J. Brown. I like him a lot. He's my number two prospect in this draft because I believe he has the highest floor and he has a good ceiling. I don't think he has that 1,500-yard ceiling, but I love his floor as a professional. In the right system, I think he could be a monster, and he's versatile. I believe he can play the wide position. Obviously, he's a slot receiver with big size, with potential to play the X. So I really like A.J. Brown. On my big board, I was hoping A.J. Brown fell to me. But I'm looking at my board now, and I'm going to go to my number three running back. And this is a controversial running back. Not every There's a wide variety of opinion on him. But I do believe that David Montgomery out of Iowa State, I believe he can be a very good NFL player. I love his ability and his determination at the line of scrimmage. I've watched a ton of Iowa State over the last two years. I understand he's not an elite athlete. I get that. That's one of the reasons why he's fallen down the board and why there's controversy about him. But I love his film work. And if you, I, you know, pro football for focus, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have read or looked at pro football focus. They have him in 2017. He recorded 86 missed tackles, and he had 3.43 yards after contact and 109 broken tackles. They just published his numbers that he had last year, and they're almost as spectacular, and I believe he led all of college football in missed tackles. He's 5'10", 212 pounds. Look, I really like his lateral ability. I like his jump cuts. I think sometimes he tries to be Superman. I think he does too much behind the line of scrimmage. But I think that's partly attributed to his poor 
offensive line play. I think when he gains confidence in his offensive line and the coaching staff uses him in a gap or power running scheme and he believes that the holes are going to be there, I think he's going to be very good. Now, he is going to be a little volume dependent. I understand that. He's probably going to be best if he can get between 18 and 22 touches a game. But I think what's being overlooked is he's a really good pass catcher. Watch the film, people. He had 71 career touches or receptions for the Cyclones, and he's very good getting the ball in space and making something happen. And there's two stats that I like from Expand the Box Score. Over the past two seasons, in the fourth quarter, he averaged 5.19 yards per carry on 110 catches. When the Cyclones had a lead, and they're not a great team, but when they had a lead, they relied on David Montgomery in the fourth quarter. And here's one of my favorite stats. He earned seven touches on third and goal in the last two seasons, and he scored five touchdowns. I like this young man. He's going to be, land, you know, obviously, like all the running backs, landing spot is going to matter. But I'm bullish on David Montgomery. I think he has a really nice career ahead of him. A low floor. I don't think he'll ever be better than at 100 or 1,100 yards a season, but he could get you double digit touchdowns in an explosive offense. Yeah, the one part I want to make note of, because you did a great job breaking down David Montgomery, is I'm glad you talked about his receiving ability, because I think that is an untapped area that he can even be better than how Iowa State used him. I think that's something that's going very under the radar. He's going to be a great third-round pick, I think, in the NFL draft, and if he lands in the right spot, he really could thrive. Andy, any thoughts on David Montgomery, or you want to take it to the 1.10? Uh, we can do both. I mean, just quick on David Montgomery, I do like him, but I think his big knock was when they hyped him up to be, and again, not to bring this back to Saquon Barkley, but that seems to be the common thread on this 2019 NFL draft uh, special. But when they hyped him up to be better than Saquon Barkley, you know, he's got the patience of Lev Bell. He's got this of Saquon Barkley. He's got this of uh, OJ. So whatever. It was like they made him into this Voltron of running backs. There was that graphic that was, you know, showed during the game. I think that was the, the downfall for David Montgomery because people just started looking at him in that regard. And then when he doesn't give you that, you either, either like him more or you like him less as a result because I think the bar has just kind of been unfairly set for him. I don't have any problems with David Montgomery, but it just speaks to kind of where this draft is for me with the running backs, which gets me to my next pick. And this was the point of the draft that I realized, hey, um, I only have one team. I'm just picking for somebody. So this isn't my actually uh, my third pick of the first round. This is just the 10th pick of the first round. Uh, And I say that because the roster construction for me, this being a super flex league, Easily somebody could have took Dwayne Haskins here, which is where I, I believe uh, Tim went with the next pick. Um, easily Dwayne Haskins could have went here. I just am not a Dwayne Haskins fan. So I went for the next best running back, uh, thinking that, okay, already John is swallowing them all up, all the guys I like, Montgomery, Miles Sanders. Let me not miss out <laughs> again. So I went with Damian Harris, who, as I touched on before, when we were talking about Josh Jacobs, is just, to me, he's he's – Better than people want to give credit for. Uh, He's got size. He's got strength. He's got speed. He's got elusiveness. He can pass block. He can catch. He basically just does everything and doesn't seem to be getting the appreciation for that. So I will take Damian Harris 
110. Yeah, I mean, Harris is now the fourth running back off the board. I think Harris, again, is very underrated. I think, like you said, multiple times right today, Andy, and I think you're spot on. He just seems to be flying under the radar. Like, you know, like, you sometimes see people's like top four, top five running backs. And sometimes Damian Harris is not in people's top fives. And you see other guys who, you know, maybe were, uh, you know, a little bit sexier, a little bit flashier. And I just think people are losing sight of, you know, how good of a player Damian Harris is. And he's a guy who NFL teams are going to love him. His demeanor, his play style really is a guy who, again, him and Montgomery, I think, are very similar in terms of they're going to be day two picks. They're going to be added to a backfield. We'll see who else is there and then, you know, what that means in terms of immediate playing time. But I do think that he he's going under the radar. And I think maybe if he lands in the right spot, I don't even think, you know, I think he could even be pushed up the board in these rookie drafts and maybe not even be there at the back end. It really all depends on that, you know, opportunity and landing spot. Tim, you're up with the 1.11 pick, but before you get there, four running backs have already been taken. Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, uh, David Montgomery, and Damian Harris. If you were going to real quick just give your rankings of those four guys uh, just to kind of see if it's a little bit different than they went off the board here, what would your rank of those four be? And then give us your 1.11 pick with some breakdown. Uh, those, those four for me would be Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Damian Harris, and probably a bunch of other running backs before I even consider taking David Montgomery. So, okay. <laughs> so, uh, wouldn't be in my top four. My, my 110 was, or I'm sorry, 111 was Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. Again, a likely first round pick. Uh, I, I do live in Ohio, so I guess you could say there is some homer bias that just happens to take place there. But I, I do feel that I, I was very impressed by what I saw from Dwayne Haskins coming in year one, uh, as the starter after JT Barrett left Ohio State. Dwayne Haskins, he he was a star, star from the get-go. If anything, I was actually disappointed that he didn't replace JT Barrett there sooner, and I really think it was just the coaching staff allow, affording Barrett the opportunity to, to play out his Buckeye career, and uh, and I, I was impressed. I, I've heard a lot of conversation just saying it wasn't Haskins, it was the weapons around him, and because he had such great uh, great pieces to work with, whether it was J.K. Dobbins or or Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, and and, and I I disagree with that. It, it's sure he did have good weapons around him, but that's not everything. It I, I just feel like it's a real disservice to the player. And if you're looking at Dwayne Haskins just as a prospect, the part I would say is he has impressive size. Again, his mechanics are fairly clean. I, I actually saw, uh, I, I was a little disappointed when I saw it because I saw a comparison to uh, Byron Leftwich on Twitter recently. And I, I think that's completely off because Dwayne Haskins and uh, Byron Leftwich have completely different throwing mechanics. I mean, he doesn't have that big loop where you're almost touching the ball to the ground. So I, I just feel like that's, a, that's again, a disservice. So I almost feel like he's being underrated at this point in the process. I wouldn't be surprised to see Haskins be a top 10 pick in this draft, maybe by your New York Giants. We'll see if they, if they wise up. Uh, I won't make comment about Odell Beckham Jr. since <laughs> <laughs> uh, since I am also a Browns <laughs> a Browns fan, uh, 
But but just where we're looking at right here, I feel like he's a quality pick. Again, it's super flex, and he's likely in a situation where he should start quickly. Yeah, listen, I'm I'm a fan of Haskins. If the Giants took him, I I'd be all about that. Uh I, I don't see the left witch comparison at all. I watch Haskins play. I think he's somewhere between, you know, like a Jameis Winston and a Ben Roethlisberger. I I I, I had I put out a tweet today saying that you know, people are worried and concerned about him vert, uh, throwing vertically down the field. And, you know, I've changed my stance over the last couple of years to to make sure don't say something is a negative or a weakness on a player just because we haven't seen him be asked to do it. You know, I think Dwayne Haskins has plenty of arm talent to make any NFL throw. It's not his fault that Ohio State's offense was so lethal without him having to make those throws on a regular basis. I'm not ready to knock him and say he can't do those NFL throws with more regularity and consistency. And the truth be told is college offenses are taking over the NFL more and more every single year. So who's to say that, you know, a lot of the things that worked at the college game can't work for Dwayne Haskins also at the NFL level, you know, a lot of intermediate stuff. Yeah. Is he going to have to put the ball outside the numbers or, and push it vertically down the field? Sure. But I, I think he can do that. I think, I think he is being undervalued. I don't see why last year everybody was a hundred percent in on Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and, you know, Josh Allen was very polarizing. We won't even get into that. Uh, I'm not sure why Dwayne Haskins is not at least in the consensus of where most people thought those other guys were last year. They had some flaws. Dwayne Haskins has some flaws. I don't think it was leaps and bounds. Those guys were were better. And I, I feel like Dwayne Haskins is, is getting a little bit pushed, you know, uh, away from the forefront. And to be honest with you, if there was more teams in the top five that needed quarterbacks, I think nobody would really blink an eye if he was taken number one or number two overall. Like if Kyler Murray decided to play baseball and there was a team picking one that needed, you know, a quarterback, I don't think anybody would be stunned if Dwayne Haskins was the pick. I I really don't. So I do think he's on par with a lot of the guys from last year's class. Uh, And we'll see. I I know people are really harping on that one year of experience and, uh, finding some things not to like about him. So that'll be interesting to kind of see uh, what happens there. To round out the first round, I was on the board, and I got to be honest with you, I was stunned that this guy was available because I, I, I'm i not even a huge fan of DK Metcalf. He was my pick, wide receiver out of Ole Miss. But I kind of felt like the storm was building, that he, by the time real rookie drafts came around, I thought he was going to be like the consensus 1.01 or 1.02. So I never even really envisioned when I – when we predetermined the order and I was picking at 1.04, I didn't even think he was going to be available at 1.04, you know, and then I obviously made two picks already in the first round. uh, And I like a lot of other players, not a lot, but I like a handful of players better than DK Metcalf. So I was surprised to see him on the board, obviously elite athleticism, speed, ability to win at the catch point, go up and get it. Obviously the change of direction stuff has really thrown some people for a loop. Uh, I don't think that's going to really be his game. I think he's going to be more utilized like a Josh Gordon type player. Uh, I think he's raw. I think he's got route refinement and route development to do, but I think the upside is high. I think he's going to have the draft capital as a first round pick. Uh, And if he really, if he ends up somewhere where he's not asked to be the number one, I think that is going to be a role where he could thrive in. If he ends up with like the Packers and I don't think he's going top 12, but maybe he's sitting there at the end of round one still, 
I think a place like that, like how Calvin really ended up across from Julio Jones last year, if Metcalf lands in a situation like that, where he's not drawing double teams and the top cornerback, I think you could see him have a role earlier uh, than maybe some people expect. So that's my thoughts on DK to kind of round out round one. John, before you kick off round two for us, thoughts on DK Metcalf? Surprised that he was there at the end of round one, just from the buzz that's been out there on Metcalf? I think he's one of the players that I've seen in mock and some real dynasty mock drafts so far over the last six weeks. He's all over the board. Now, in a super flex league like this, and I thought Tim did great. I think Kyler Murray is a top four pick in super flex leagues because the upside is just so tremendous. You have to go for that in a super flex dynasty league because if he hits, you've just hit gold. So I like that Kyler Murray pick. And I think that is forcing value down the board. We took two tight ends in this draft. If you're not in a super flex league, in a regular dynasty league, I don't think those, and we had a tight end premium. So we took two tight ends there. So with the super flex and the two tight ends, it is forced value down the board at the wide receiver position. I wanted to kind of get some running backs here because I love so many wide receivers deep in a dynasty draft. I feel pretty confident that I can get players that I like in the second and third round at wide receiver, not as confident in the running backs. So am I surprised to get back to your original question? I digress. Not really, because I think there's a floor with DK Metcalf. The ceiling is clearly there. The size and the speed is unbelievable. But I look for three metrics when I'm breaking down players. And DK Metcalf has two metrics that are concerning to me. One is the lack of career receptions and the lack of production on the field. If I'm going to invest the first round dynasty pick in a receiver like that, especially in the first half, I need to have symmetry in all three categories that I'm looking for. Also, his agility scores in the three cone and the 20 yard shuttle. They're a little bit concerning to me. He's still a first round value, but how many wide receivers have we seen who are successful in the NFL in the last five years with that three cone drill and that 20 yard shuttle? He kind and this is the floor. If I'm old enough to remember Jonathan Baldwin getting drafted by the Kansas city chiefs as a first round pick. Now he was a complete bust. I'm not saying DK Metcalf's Jonathan Baldwin people. He's better than Jonathan Baldwin. But that floor is within the range of outcomes. And I'm not going to invest a high dynasty pick when I have that much of a floor that I have to worry about and I can grab wide receivers I like in round two. So, yes, I'm not surprised that he dropped this far in a super flex tight end premium league. Yeah, I mean, I think you make a good point, and I'm going to be intrigued because I still, you know, I know I've been a guest on one or two other podcasts, and I, I said, you know, and this was prior to even the combine, that I think when by the time draft season rolls around, I think DK Metcalf is going to be pushed up the board to be a lot of people's 1.01. So when this happened in this, it kind of made me think, okay, maybe that's not going to be the case. Maybe, you know, maybe I was false, it, you know, I thought that, but maybe I'm incorrect in that. It seemed like that was the narrative building, but this is making me kind of take a step back and thinking it might be a little bit different. So 
round one in the books for round two and round three, you know, just so we somewhat do this in a timely fashion, we'll go a little bit more rapid fire style, make the pick, give a quick thought or two on why you like the player, and then we'll keep it going through there. So, John, you're on the clock, 2.01, where are you going? I love this player. I'm going with one of my most exciting players that I've seen in the last two years in college football. Daryl Henderson, running back of the Memphis Tigers. People, he averaged 8.2 yards a carry in his three seasons on campus, and he had 431 carries. So it's not like he had a small amount of touches. Let me repeat that. 8.2 yards per carry. And one of the best stats that I've seen out of a player from expand the box score. I love this one. 12% of his touches exceeded 20 yards. That's right, folks. 12% of his touches exceeded 20 yards. And 16 of them were for touchdowns. Daryl Henderson in the right scheme. You isolate this guy on the edges. You get him one-on-one. He is a home run waiting to happen. I love Daryl Henderson. Yeah, I mean, you you laid it out perfectly there. Home run threat, big play. I think he's going to be a perfect complement in a committee, dual committee offense where he's going to make explosive plays uh, in the run game as well. So, Andy, let me swing it over to you for the 2.02 pick. So before the combine, my wide receiver one was Kelvin Harmon, and I'm not going to let the combine dissuade me that much. Uh, I liked what he was able to do at NC State. I liked what he was able to do even last year when you consider that he had two NFL running backs in the same offense with him, and he was still able to carve out a, a nice role for himself. So uh, I'm not overlooking oh, – I shouldn't say I'm – I'm overlooking the combine and saying it's not going to dissuade me from from still loving Kelvin Harmon. So for him to fall to the second round in the 14th overall pick is tremendous value for me. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love Harmon. Uh, truth be told, he's actually my number two wide receiver. But Ooh. I thought I could, I thought I could actually uh, wait out one more pick for for it to come back to me and get him. So that's why I took Metcalf. But I, I'm all in on Calvin uh, on Calvin Harmon. I love his game. To me, I keep using the comp, and maybe it's the New York fan in me, but when Hakeem Nix was good, that's who that's who Calvin Harmon reminds me of, his ability to win on the back shoulder fade, his body control, his ability to go up and get it. Hakeem Nix's combine was eerily similar. There's Their size, their frames, eerily similar. I think Harmon's going to be a much better pro than where he's being kind of talked about right now. So absolutely love that pick. Tim, 2.03, where are you heading? This is where the UTH side of me is really coming out and we're we're really moving towards a running back focus and at this point there's there's a few criteria that that we always want to look for. Does he have acceptable height? Does he have acceptable weight? Uh so so those two factors end up being a BMI for a player and then uh obviously the tape and how we feel they'll they'll be drafted. Those are the that's the very bare bones of it. And Mike Weber Right here at 2.03, I feel fits everything. I, I was actually pleasantly surprised how well he tested. I was not expecting a 4.47. I was not expecting him to be over uh, at a 105 speed score. Th- those are things I, I just wasn't expecting from him. But 
when I watch him on film, I see an instinctual player. I see someone who has uh, who does good work in pass protection. He has plenty of wiggle for a guy that's that has a thirty BMI. I was again, that's one of the many reasons I was surprised. Uh, Weber is instructive, instinctive, and he does really well just as with his overall feel of the game. So, I, as far as being this early in the draft compared to other draft classes, I feel like this might be a little bit of a reach. But again, when I'm in a rookie draft, this is my opportunity to really get the the target running backs that fit uh, the mold of what I'm looking for. And I could see him easily being a solid baseline starter when he reaches the NFL. And that that's really what I'm trying to take as many shots on as possible. Yeah, I mean, Weber was a guy who I was excited for his combine. I'm glad he tested better. I thought he was going to test well. Uh, I'm fascinated to see what the NFL thinks of him because you just really haven't heard, you know, is he on that round three, round four border? Is he a guy who could go late rounds? Like, I, I, I have a hard time. Usually I feel like I have a pretty good sense of, like, you know, a, a high low in terms of their draft range. Mike Weber is a guy that I am struggling with in terms of what the NFL thinks of him because he just, yeah. there just hasn't been a lot of conversation about him. I think he is a good player. I think he, you know, gets lost in the shuffle there with all the other playmakers at Ohio State, but he's going to be a fascinating one to kind of see what the NFL thinks of him and his draft capital, whether it's round three, round four, or round six, round seven, will probably really move the needle a lot in terms of his dynasty rookie value. At 2.04, I'm taking Debo Samuel, wide receiver out of South Carolina. I've been saying since last summer, if you like DJ Moore, and a lot of people were all in on DJ Moore in last year's rookie drafts, you should be liking Debo Samuel even more. I think he could do everything DJ Moore can do, but I think he is a more refined route runner. Maybe he doesn't have the testing numbers that DJ Moore had, but I don't think he's that far off from them. I think the body control, playmaking ability, Inside, outside versatility, get him the ball in space. I just think he's a better route runner than DJ Moore, but they have those similar body types. You know, they're not like 200 pounds. They're a little bit thicker. I like Debo Samuel. I think he could be a playmaker at the next level. And I think he's still, not till the mid to late part of the year, that I think he was finally rounded into full health after suffering that serious injury the year before. So that's kind of where I'm going with the 2.04 pick. John, you're on the clock with 2.05. I'm so ecstatic that this player landed to me in the second round in a tight end premium draft. I really like Irv Smith, and Paul alluded to it. There's a very good chance that three tight ends go off in the first round in at the end of this month. I have a second round grade on Irv Smith. I think there is separation between Hawkinson and Fant and then Smith. But I do like Irv Smith. He's 6'2", 242 pounds. He's a physical competitor. He's a good blocker. He's a good route runner. He's got nice hands. You know he's going to come into the NFL coming from an Alabama system and be be a productive tight end from day one. I think he has a little bit limited upside. I think Fant is more – well, he's definitely more athletic. So Fant has a higher ceiling. But I do like Irv Smith. I'm very happy to get him here with the fifth pick of the second round. Yeah, I mean, one I'll say one comment about Smith is I think he's the best route runner of the big three guys, and I think that will go a long way in terms of him getting immediate playing time. I think a guy like Belichick and the Patriots at the end of round one could be really intrigued with Irv Smith Jr. If they're not looking for a prototype to specifically replace a Gronk player, which would obviously be like more like Hawkinson, I think 
Belichick might be have more interest in a guy like Irv Smith than even Noah Fant because of his route development and his route refinement. So I think Patriots and Irv Smith keep an eye on that at the end of round one. Andy, you're on the clock, 2.06. Yeah, so I stuck with the same theme as not being persuaded by the combine, and I stuck with my running back, Devin Singletary, Florida Atlantic. I know a lot of people are down on him. He started to become this sleeper darling before the combine, and then it completely just fell off a cliff as a result of it. I'm not falling off that cliff with the combine results. I still love this kid, uh, what he does with his lower half, how he sets his blocks up, how he's looking two and three moves downfield. It's just an elite trait. He has elusiveness and the most powerful lower base, powerful lower, lower half and, and legs of all the running backs in this class. This is testament to what I was talking about at the top of this. If I can, if I told you at the beginning of this draft, I have one three. I'll give you one three for your second round, which is 14th overall, and your second round, which is 18th overall. You'd probably make that trade, and I would walk out of here with Calvin Harmon and Devin Singletary, and I'd be pleased as punch. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that goes to if I'm someone who has a lot of picks, I'm moving, I'm trading back. If someone's eager to come up and, like you just said, offering two picks, I think this is the year that you really walk away. Having two guys is better than having one because they're – and you've said it throughout the night and and you're spot on. There is no true Saquon Barkley, you know, in terms of immediate elite fantasy – talent that is just so good that you can't pass it up this just doesn't exist in this draft there's a lot of uh, talented players but a lot of question marks so I think I think you're spot on there Singletary is a guy who you know his ability to make people miss in short area space is his calling card I think it's unique I think it's special and I think you know take out the speed component of it which is probably going to hurt him and hinder his actual NFL draft capital a little bit if he gets an opportunity to play I think we're going to see some of what he was able to do at Florida Atlantic transition over to the NFL. So Tim, you're on the clock, 2.07. Where are you going? I'm going with Justice Hill here. And the part that I'm actually surprised about is that a lot of people keep calling Justice Hill a change of pace back. And I, I think that's not really fair to to his overall profile because when he was at Oklahoma State, he he was their every down guy. He he didn't really leave the field. Uh, I think when he transitions to the next level you can see him make an impact as probably being a 1B to to uh, another player's 1A. I almost think of, and I'm not directly comparing these two, but I'm just thinking about role-wise, Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. I could see him being that Robin to someone else's Batman. Not, again, not exactly. I understand Alvin Kamara and him have very different overall skill sets, but I just mean that one B type of role I could see him fitting into. And, and overall he's, he's such an explosive athlete. I, I was really impressed by, uh, again, by the testing numbers at the combine. That is something that does carry weight with me. I, I think the part that, that really rounds out his profile though, is just that, while he's not a natural receiver, he does have receiving chops, so he is able to play in that game. And he does have, for his overall size, he does have a good build, and he is able to stay on the field for pass protection. So Justice Hill just feels like a guy who can step in, almost think almost like a, a Corey Grant type of player, electric. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that the words change of pace sometimes has a negative connotation, almost like game manager for a quarterback. And I think, you know, 
I think it's more of a he's going to be a compliment to someone. He's 198 pounds. He's not going to carry the ball 20 times at the NFL level. The Big 12 defenses compared to the NFL defenses are going to be very different. But I think compliment. 1B committee is more the appropriate thing because he's not just going to be a guy who gets four carries. He can do more. I mean, sometimes change of pace is a guy only comes in four to six touches a game and just to give the, the D, uh, offense a different look. I think he's much more than that. So I, I like how you kind of outline that. He's got big play threat. He can catch the ball in the backfield. Interesting player. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where he kind of lands and does he land with a team that has a more physical power back? I think that would be that perfect compliment. So at 2.08, I'm on the clock again with the with the idea that it's super flex. I'm going to pivot to the quarterback position and I'm going to take Drew Locke out of Missouri. I think he's going to go top 15 in the NFL draft. He's got a little bit Matthew Stafford to him. He improved at his time in Missouri. And truth be told, he really didn't play with a lot of talent there at Missouri. They were usually one of the worst teams in the SEC, especially, you know, if you look at his splits of uh, games against the SEC and then again, and then non-SEC, you really see a stark difference in his stats. And some people are looking at it as a negative, and I understand that. They are a little concerning. But I do think he was very undermatched at Missouri, uh, you know, in terms of the the level of talent there. High-level arm talent, good athleticism, the ability to move around, make plays with his legs, throw on the run. He has to continue to improve his accuracy. He has to continue to show that he can go through progressions and handle pressure, but he's got a lot of tools to work with. An NFL team is going to take him high, and in a super flex-type setting, I think he warrants a pick here You know, in the mid to starting to get to the late portion here of round two. John, you're on the clock, 2.09. Where are you taking us? Oh, I'm very excited that my man fell. I was worried that he's going to go off the board here. I am all aboard the Will Greer train. I am. I bought the train. I'm not just conducting it. I now own it. I believe that Will Greer is the most underrated quarterback in this draft, and it's not even close. It's close to me that he might be a better long-term prospect than Dwayne Haskins, and that's for a longer podcast to discuss. That's how much I like this young man. What really identified it to me is I did more and more film work. The same thing happened with Dak Prescott three years ago. I love Dak Prescott. He was my fourth-rated quarterback coming out of that draft, and I thought I was drunk or something because people were not even talking about him. He was outside the top ten. I've seen Will Greer outside of respected analysts' top ten. I've seen people poo-poo that Will Greer is a Big 12 quarterback. He's a system quarterback. He's not even going to make it to the NFL. And I wonder if they even watch film, but that's for another podcast. What made it, in my opinion, Will Greer, I have five benchmark stats that I look for. He hits four of those five benchmark stats, just like Dak Prescott. I watched more film. I grinded this guy. He has a wide range of outcomes. He, he has a little bit of that fearlessness. He makes plays that he should not make because he believes in his arm. He has moxie. He has confidence. He, if he can mitigate his mistakes, Will Greer could be a terrific quarterback. I hope the Broncos get him in the second round. Do not draft Drew Locke. Get a defensive lineman. Get a linebacker. Take Will Greer in the second round. Let him sit for one year behind Joe Flacco. I remember when Carson Palmer and rookie quarterbacks would sit for a year and then they get their opportunity. 
I love Will Greer here. He can score points with his feet also. I'm very happy to land him here at 2-9 in this draft. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Will Greer. I think he's definitely underrated in this draft class. I know the Giants are interested in him, so maybe they are looking at him in the in the top of the second round if they take two other guys, you know, defensive prospect and O-line maybe with their two round one picks. I think he's got a lot of moxie. The thing that I always come back to, he's got to straddle the line between recklessness and aggressiveness. And I think that's the biggest area where maybe sitting for a year and watching a veteran quarterback, he can maybe learn at the NFL level how to be a little bit smarter in that regards because he was allowed to get away with some stuff in the Big 12 that won't fly at the NFL level. But besides that, I think he's a guy that just delivers on the field in games. He didn't look good at the senior bowl. He didn't look good at the combine and, and that. I don't know if he's a guy who's going to look great in practices, but he turned on the film and watched the film. I think he really looks impressive. So Greer's a guy. It'd be interesting to see where he kind of settles in. Uh, apparently I think it was Adam Schefter said after his pro day that the people that he had heard from were, were really singing the praise of Will Greer and he could be a guy that rises up the boards a little bit. So that's one to keep a close eye on. Andy, you're up with 2.10. I think I'm the last guy still in his corner, but every time I put out some nice things and tweets about Daniel Jones, I have a lot of people, you know, seeming to agree yet. I can't find one draft Nick or, you know, ranker or Raider or anything like that. That's, finding anything positive about Daniel Jones. So I'm kind of on an island here, but I, I just – I, it's not the size. It's not the arm strength. It's not all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's just – I mean, I guess it is that kind of stuff. But this guy just – he he's like a gym rat. He's like the football equivalent of a gym rat. He feels like the guy was going to be first to every practice, last to leave. He's going to do whatever it takes to win. He'll be the guy – running out and catching balls, uh, you know, in the, in the Philly special offense and putting his head down and churning for a few extra yards. I mean, he's hasn't necessarily been a winner. He's not a loser, but he hasn't been a winner in, in the way we think of quarterbacks as winners, uh, but he feels like a winner. And, and I, I want that attitude. I want that guy hopefully taking the keys for my franchise. Uh, that's the feeling I get with Daniel Jones. And then you do, you do have the size. You do have the arm strength and everything like that. I look at a lot of the things he had at Duke, and uh, you'd see him put the ball on receivers' hands, and they would just drop it. So I, I think a lot of it had to do with the supporting cast in, in, as far as the numbers go. But he hasn't done anything to make you feel better about that in his you know, off-season workouts at the uh, senior bowl and the combine and everything like that. But I don't know. Quarterback heavy league, super flex. Uh, I didn't want to miss out. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Intangibles of root of root for Daniel Jones from his coaching and the work ethic like you talked about and, and the David Cutcliffe factor that we've heard over and over, you know, who coached both Payton and Eli Manning in the past. He's got mobility. He's, I think, listen, I think if you create an offense that he's really attacking in the short to intermediate range at, with occasional vertical shots, like an Alex Smith type offense, I think he's in that Ryan Tannehill to Alex Smith, you know, is his like floor to ceiling. That's the kind of player I, I look at as. Daniel Jones, uh, but he checks off a lot of those boxes that you were talking about in terms of the, the stuff that, you know, that it's hard to quantify, you know, and I think that's what Daniel Jones does. And you were right about the, the supporting cast there. I don't even, I don't love Daniel Jones, but I look at, you know, when people want to reference his, his completion percentage, which I think is a very useless stat at times. I don't think it's fair to look at Daniel Jones's completion percentage and say, oh, he's not an accurate passer when you talk about how often he put the ball 
where it needed to be, and his wide receivers dropped it repeatedly. You, a couple of those go the other way. All of a sudden, he's in like the mid-60s or 64, and, and no one's even saying anything about accuracy and completion percentage. So I, I do think he gets a little bit of a bad rap based on the supporting cast there he had at Duke. So, Tim, 2.11, where you're going here as we almost close out round two? Talk about things we can quantify. I'll, I'll go with Alex Barnes. And what we can quantify is team big running back. And when I say team big ah. running back, he is 220 plus. He, ha- he has the lateral and explosion ability of a small – better than some of the smaller running backs in this class four five nine at two twenty six. That is, that is just crazy to me. And the lateral, his supporting cast at Kansas state, there was nothing. They, they ran maybe about three or four different plays. It was the quarterback got the ball, tried to run around, make a play. And then the wide receiver ended up doing absolutely nothing. The quarterback got the ball. He was sacked quickly or the quarterback got the ball and handed it off to Alex Barnes. And unfortunately he was knocked down behind the line of scrimmage because there wasn't much opportunity for him to go anywhere because their offensive line was so absolutely terrible. But there were those flashes, and that that's the important part. I, I always say to people, when you're a novice at, at watching film, when you haven't done it before, it, as crazy as this is, start start with the highlights. And when I say start with the highlights, if a guy can't get you excited, can't get your motor running a little bit from your highlights, then I'm probably not going to like you when I actually put on the game film. So, so Alex Barnes, he had those flashes, those highlight moments. You saw the agility, you saw the long speed. And that's why I'm so excited when he gets to the next level. The big question, which, which I feel like we say all the time is going to be draft capital. I feel like he's coming on so late in the process that he could definitely be a late day three guy. But if that happens, then my, my guess is in rookie drafts, he's actually going to fall to the mid third round, which I'm absolutely fine with. Again, he is, has the appropriate size, plenty of speed. And I love running backs with that good three cone, because that shows that even if they aren't a refined route runner, they have the fluidity within their hips to be a good route runner and especially to develop within the passing game even more. And don't get me started on his upper body strength. He was putting up more bench press reps than some of the offense, than most of the offensive linemen. So get out of here. If you're saying that Alex Barnes just isn't going to be a good prospect. I think he absolutely has the tools to be a very quality player. Yeah, man. I think one thing about Barnes that is really going to, you know, maybe surprise people in terms of where he goes in terms of the NFL draft is he's a really good pass protector. And I know that sounds like, oh, well, what does that have anything to do with fantasy football and fantasy stats? But you know what that does do? A guy like that who an NFL team and NFL coaching staff trust means he's going to get pushed up the board a little bit. And then as soon as you attach, whether we want to admit it or not, the minute we attach draft capital to prospects, it changes the narrative on players tremendously because right. their leeway, their leash, how how much they get put on the field and given an opportunity is very different if you're a first round pick, if you're a third, fourth round pick, and if you're a sixth and a seventh round pick. And we could love prospects. But if you go sixth or seventh round, it's hard to invest even a third round rookie pick in the, in those guys because the, their opportunity to get on the field is very small. 
They need a lot of things to break right. Chris Carson needed a lot of things to break right, and he needed a coaching staff that really opens it up to be a full-blown competition at times. And that is rare that a guy late in the rounds gets to really be in a real competition to try to win a job. So I think that really pushes the narrative for a lot of these guys. So a guy who can really pass protect well might really push up his draft capital a little bit, get an opportunity to be on the field, and then maybe show off some of his other skill as well. So that's that's something to keep an eye on with Alex Barnes. To round out round two, I'm going to close it out with Marquise Brown, wide receiver out of Oklahoma. I think he's the most explosive wide receiver in the draft. I think, you know, I think people are maybe a little bit down on him right now because they're having flashbacks to John Ross. I think Marquise Brown is a better player than John Ross. I think he's a more refined route runner. I understand that the Liz Frank foot injury is probably even giving people more of a concern to think about John Ross. But I think Marquise Brown is a game breaker. He's a playmaker. I think he's very much in that Deshaun Jackson or T.Y. Hilton type mold. I think he can play on the outside, but I think you put him on the inside and, and ask him to get vertical like a T.Y. Hilton. He can make impact plays like that, but he also has that speed even to play on the outside as well. He's another guy I was just talking about. I think when, when the dust settles, I'd be surprised if he's available at 2.12 in real dynasty rookie drafts after the NFL draft, because I think he will have the draft capital of being a top 35 or 40 pick. I think he probably has a legitimate chance to go round one. And if not first five, 10 picks in round two, he comes off the board. I have a hard time thinking one of the first four to six skill players who come off the board in the NFL draft is sitting there at pick 24. So we'll see. I think this is probably good value for him right here. So that kind of closes out round two. John, kick it off in round three to uh, make us go through this round. I believe the tight end is the deepest position in this fantasy draft. And I'm taking my fourth ranked tight end off the board. Jay Sternberger, Texas A&M. He came on this year, six foot four, 251 pounds for the Aggies. He had 47 passes for 804 yards and 10 touchdowns. Look at his combine scores. I love his athletic ability. I enjoyed watching the film. I can think, I believe he can make an immediate contribution in the passing game at the NFL level. I'm very happy in a tight end premium league to grab Jace Sternberger at 3 1. Yeah, great pick there. A lot of upside. Don't even test that a little bit better at the combine, but I think on the field you see a lot of athleticism. Andy, 3.02. Yeah, I want Paris Campbell. He's become one of my favorite wide receivers here. I think we've overlooked Ohio State guys for the last few seasons. Michael Thomas made us remember not to. I said when we did our video on him, dare I say this out loud again, but I said his upside could be something similar to Odell Beckham. When you look at what he does with his size and his speed coming across the middle and then just becoming a punt returner, I mean, that's the kind of upside. Whether he lives up to it or not, I don't know, uh, but there's a whole bunch of knocks on him for, oh, he's just a pitch and catch kind of guy. He's not. That's what Ohio State featured because of Haskins' limitations. He has the best speed in, among the best speed in the class and can do way more than just catch screen passes. Uh, the thing I like to say about him, he went to college to get his bachelor's in wide receiving. And after four years, he's progressing in the right direction and he's ready to go get his doctorate. Yeah, I mean, listen, Campbell's another guy. I said the same thing with Marquise Brown. The buzz around Paris Campbell is this guy could go late round one or early round two. And if that's the case, this is probably a steal of a value for him. He's going to probably get pushed up the board again. 
we can't knock guys for doing things that they're not asked to be done. So just because he barely caught any passes 20 yards down the field, he's got four for a speed. I'm pretty sure he can get vertical. You know, it's just not what they asked him to do. Going back to they didn't ask Dwayne Haskins to throw down the field too often on a regular basis. We really got to hold judgment on these guys and not say they can't do something, even though just because they weren't asked to do it. So, Tim, 3.03, where are you heading? This is one of my favorite players, and he's been one of my favorite players for a few years now. Travion Williams out of Texas A&M, uh, high-level recruit coming into the program. Uh, and you have to have to go back to, to think about how much talent was actually on this Texas A&M team when he first arrived. And and I, I've been surprised because he's been a three-year starter, even for a smaller guy. He stands 5'8". He, uh, he weighed in above where I expected, 206, so that gave him a 31.3 BMI, which is very impressive. He's coming out early, which which I always think that that's a sign for a player because that that says he's probably gotten a decent grade, a good enough grade to where he he thinks he can go probably day two of the draft. I, w- I would say day- late day two. So probably in the third round. And if that happens, I really think he checks another box for me. Excellent pass catcher, very natural hands and can play on all three downs. As I mentioned with justice Hill, I feel like Travion Williams could really be that complimentary running back. He could stand up and, and really, uh, really be able to participate, whether it's in the receiving game, being, uh, being in there as even as a spot starter, there is, in a situation that I feel like Travion Williams couldn't step into except for a prolonged feature role where, where you're expecting him to get like 250 carries or 250 total touches throughout the season. I don't feel like that will be his game going to the next level, but as far as being an explosive athlete, an agile athlete, and someone who can really give you a lot of uh, bang for your buck right off the bat, I, I don't think he can go much further than Travion Williams. Yeah, love Travion's versatility. Big play threat, really shine this year at Texas A&M. Great pass protector. I'll say it again. That is going to push up his value in terms of what the NFL thinks and in terms of where his draft stock goes. He's one of the better pass protectors from the running back position. At 3.04, listen, I know the metrics people hate this player. The market share people hate this player. But I watched a film, and I I can't quit Riley Ridley, the wide receiver out of Georgia. I watch him. I think he gets open. I think his lack of production and statistics is more a product of Georgia's run-focused offense and a lot of playmakers sharing the wealth. I like Riley Ridley as a player. I think the NFL is going to be way, way higher on him than what the consensus is from fans and uh, evaluators on Twitter. I think he's going to still go in the top 100. I think he's going to go somewhere on in round three. And I think he could be a guy that people look back on and are surprised at how successful he is. And I think he has a chance to be successful pretty quickly because he's, I think he's one of the better route runners in this entire draft class. So I'll take a chance on him. I think couple months ago i think he probably would have been considered an early second round pick in dynasty rookie drafts so somewhere now in the third round 3.04 i think it's good value so john can i can i add something on ridley sorry i don't know we're trying to fly through this so we have uh you know various commenters on our videos and we did the riley ridley one and i am i'm with you i love him but we had a commenter that basically said not basically he said he's not an athlete and I just thought that was funny. So there's that out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really is. It, it, and again, I get it. If you 
you you was it disappointing at the combine? Sure, but I mean, we go back to what you said with Calvin Harmon before. Like, okay, so it's four six or four six one. Like, there's been guys who've ran that. Like, that's not a threshold as like a death sentence for wide receivers. I mean, I think I looked it up. Devontae Adams was either a four six or a four five nine. Hakeem Nicks, who was really productive until his injury, four six three. We've seen guys. Michael Thomas didn't run a blazing forty time. Didn't have a huge statistical, you know, output at Ohio state i mean if you watch the game riley ridley made impact on the field in the in in big moments against high level competition in the sec i'm a fan of of ridley still and i think the nfl is going to be a fan of him as well and i think that's going to be much to the the detriment of people who want to kind of write him off and think he should be like a sixth or seventh round pick just because of his combine and his statistical output i don't see that happening i think the nfl is going to look way more past that and, and think that it's more a product of georgia and and what they have there so we'll see uh he's an interesting player nonetheless John 3.05, where are you going? I'm going to go the antithesis of Riley, Riley Ridley, and I'm going Notre Dame wide receiver Miles Boykin. Look, at there are a lot of very interesting X receivers in this draft with many different opinions on them. We were talking about Akeem Butler earlier, and some people have him at the top of the board, and some people have him outside the top six. Miles Boykin has really moved up my board since the combine. He was an extremely good athletic scores at the combine. I have him as my number 10 ranked wide receiver right now. He is six foot four, 220 pounds. I think earlier at Notre Dame in his career, he was handicapped by the depth chart. Will Fuller and Equinamia St. Brown were the alpha dogs in front of him, and he could not beat those two players out. Then he was kind of put down by poor quarterback play when Brandon Wimbosh opened the season at Notre Dame. And people, Brandon Wimbosh cannot throw the football. Miles Boykin, once they got an NFL quarterback pocket passer in Ian Book, and he started throwing the ball, Boykin shined. I like him a lot. I'll take the upside here in a third round of a dynasty draft. Yeah, I mean, I think Boykin's going to be a guy that's definitely been rising in the pre-draft process. It'll be interesting to see how high he gets pushed up the board. Does he go on day two? Is he one of an early pick in in day three, early in round four? He's an interesting guy. Such a deep class of wide receivers and so many of those bigger bodied guys as well. So it's kind of be going to be fun to see kind of where Boykin fits in there in that mix. Andy, you're on the clock here at 3.06. 3.06, I went J.J. Orsega-Whiteside. I uh, just couldn't believe he was still there. Not that I love him. It was just kind of one of those things, like all these players are jumbled up. So you look around, and you're now in the third round, and you're like, here's a guy with massive upside to the point that he could be the best wide receiver in the class when we look back five years from now. And he's there in the third round, so why not? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the thing with Arcega-Whiteside is out of sight, out of mind. I feel like he's just been... <laughs> He's been MIA since the season ended. Now, I'm not as high on Arcega Whiteside as some people. He's like in that 11 to 12 range for me in terms of my wide receivers. But I see the allure with him. I see the upside. I see the potential that he has. I have some separation uh, concerns in terms of you know, creating space in his routes. 
but he just hasn't been, he hasn't done anything, you know, combine didn't do anything. I think that was unexpected. There was no talk that of what was going on there pro day. I don't think he's done anything yet. So I don't know if we're going to see anything from him prior to the NFL draft, which is, you know, we're quickly approaching it. So I think it's one of those things that in the public perception, he's kind of lost some value just because people haven't been seeing or talking about him, but whatever the NFL thinks about him, even without all this stuff, he's probably going to be much higher than what maybe some people think just because we haven't been talking about him a lot. So, well, his pro days today, as this is being released uh, April 3rd. So he'll be trending at the same time as we'll be talking about him. on this episode. <laughs> All right. So we're, we'll, uh, we'll have to uh, put that in a tweet uh, once our podcast comes out and maybe we'll get some numbers finally on uh, JJ or Siga Whiteside and see how we test. Tim, you're on the clock at 3.07. I, this, <laughs> I feel like I have so many favorite players in this draft, and that's just because while it's not really strong at the top, I do feel that the depth of this class is really where we win. And one of the deeper guys that maybe only a few podcasts are really talking about is Ashton Doolin, wide receiver out of Malone. Uh, 6'2", 210-pound wide receiver from a Division II school, led all NCAA football in all-purpose yards and was second in all-purpose yards per game. In 2018, he cost... 61 passes for 984 yards and 11 touchdowns and finished with almost 2000 all purpose yards and 15 total touchdowns. When you're looking for a deep wide receiver prospect, and I feel like we've had a few of these guys lately, uh, Justin Watson came out last year, these size athlete mega producers, the, this is, this is what I want. I want them to have a proper frame. I want them to have that, that prolific production profile in their background. And I, I don't say this lightly because I don't think this comes along very often. This is the Miles Austin type of profile where Sure, it's deep down the dial, but if you hit, you're going to have a really large mega boom that really hits for you in in late round three of your draft. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's an intriguing prospect. He's got the size. He's got the frame. He went to the combine, tested out really well in the athletic testing. And like you said, elite level collegiate production, obviously at a lower level. So it'll be interesting to see a guy like this and kind of how he fits into the narrative of this wide receiver class that is such a deep wide receiver class. But he's a guy who he might get picked and there might be a lot of big names that people, and when I mean big names, it's names that people are used to seeing on Saturdays, like the little Jordan Humphreys of the world and Jalen Smith out of Louisville or Demarcus Lodge out of Ole Miss. And they might be on the board. And then a guy like this might get taken ahead of them because he is a little bit more of an intriguing pick in terms of developmental, in terms of upside uh, that teams might be looking for the athletic testing, the collegiate production, and might be looking for that diamond in the rough. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of where the NFL values a player like him coming from the level of competition he is uh, relative to other players that maybe didn't test out as well, but played at some bigger level schools uh, in the power five. So that's going to be something uh, fun to kind of watch closely with the 3.08 pick. I'm on the clock. I'm taking Andy Isabella wide receiver out of UMass, not nearly as lower level as Ashton out of Malone. But Isabella is a guy who went to the combine. There was a little bit of a misstep in terms of the electronic scoring. It looked like he had ran in the mid four fives, but 
most people who had watched him knew that that couldn't be right. He tested out, ended up being 4-3-1. Him and Paris Campbell, I believe, tied for the two fastest 40 times. Explosive player who's kind of been pigeonholed as just a slot guy, but I think he's way more than that. I think he's a guy who can win vertically down the field. He has production against high-level opponents that he's shown the ability to win vertically down the field. So I think he can has some inside-outside versatility, can make plays after the catch. He's got to clean up his hands a little bit. Body catches a little too much for my liking at times, but an explosive player, good route runner, uh, also has to clean up sometimes some extra steps. We started at the senior bowl, but I like a lot of his traits that he has and his explosion that I think Isabella is a guy who could go off the board somewhere, probably early to mid round three top 100 pick at this point in the, uh, in the draft PPR setting, I'll take Andy Isabella. So John, you're on the clock with 3.09 last pick of this for you. Every year I become invested in the players coming out. And this year, one of those players who I've really latched onto and I think is a super value is James William running back Washington State. My friends, he caught 202 career receptions at Washington State, but that is not why I like him so much. You need to watch this film of this young man. He is extraordinarily good pass catcher. But I learned this from Paul and Matt and listening to their podcast. And they talk about spatial awareness and solving problems. James Williams is so good at solving problems in space. He is uncanny. He can catch the ball with with his back to the defense, spin around, immediately look at the challenge in front of him, understand angles of defenders, And then he pops it up field. And what I like more about him, he is good between the tackles. He's very underrated. He is going to be a tremendous threat in the red zone. You can go four wide and put James Williams in the backfield. If those safeties sneak deep or there isn't a linebacker in the middle of the field, James Williams is going to put the ball into the end zone. I love him. I'm all on board. James Williams, I have a third-round grade in. In today's modern NFL, you want problem solvers in space, and James Williams is that guy, folks. One of the best pass-catching running backs in this class. You know, the comp is so easy to James White, but it's a legitimate comp in terms of how he's going to be used at the next level. It's spot on. So with that, Andy, final pick of the night for you, 3.110. Where are you going with it? I love James Williams, so I felt like John sniped me, a pick before <laughs> me with this. But to have Rodney Anderson of Oklahoma as the consolation at the 34th pick overall, if it weren't for the injuries, we'd be talking about him as the best running back in this class. So I, I know there's a lot of risk inherent with what he's dealt with and what he brings to the table, but what he brings to the table is RB1 upside. So if, at this point, it's lottery picks, and you can't swing for the fences much better than you can with Rodney Anderson. Absolutely. I love Rodney Anderson. He was my number one running back all last summer. Right now, I mentioned way back in the beginning that Miles Sanders might be my second running back in terms of fantasy ranking right now. But Rodney Anderson with Josh Jacobs are my number one and number two running backs on talent and skill. Uh, really interested to see, you know, if we hear anything about his medicals, you know, when he might be ready to play, how bad does it look, and what, where the NFL thinks of him. Because if he goes in round four, I think, you know, that could really start pushing him back up uh, Dynasty rookie boards uh, for sure. Tim, final pick of the night for you here at 3.11. Where are you going? 
Yeah, this is sad to wrap it up with you guys, but I'll I'll wrap it up with a guy that I'm actually in in lockstep with Josh Norris about, and that's Divina Zigbo, who, just as a side note, recently uh, visited with the Cleveland Browns, who may or may not be looking to uh, get Duke Johnson off off their roster here in the very near future. (laughs) And, And as I mentioned before, he has appropriate uh, size, speed. Uh, I, I was impressed. I believe he was at the East, East-West Shrine game, the drills that you actually saw from him. You could see the explosion, natural hands. And what I really liked most about him is his versatility. Moving from, uh, moving from uh, 2017 to 2018, when Frost came in, he had to completely change his body because Frost didn't want him to be just a... Uh, just a between the tackles grinder, he wanted him to be able to play more in a zone blocking scheme and to be a little bit more of a receiver. And he, uh, the conditioning he put his body through, I, I read a lot of reports about how he had a lot of wide receiver dead legs because he was doing so much conditioning. And I, I was really impressed just to read about the work ethic, the drive, the want that this young man has. And I, I feel very strongly that he could step in. He could be that later round Mike Shanahan type of running back that comes in and is a contributor day one. I I almost think back to an Isaiah Crowell type of runner running back where you just give this young man an opportunity and he's going to take off. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where he lands. Even if he goes undrafted, I'm going to do my best to have him on most of my rosters. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that he wasn't at the Combine. I thought that he was arguably one of the biggest snubs at the Combine. Uh, Looked good at the East-West Shrine game, and then I thought he would be a lock for the the Combine. I really wanted to see him there, but he had his pro day. He tested out well. For a man his size, really good athleticism, all-around capabilities as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what the NFL thinks of him. Obviously, he's got some big supporters, uh, you know, from you to you mentioned Josh Norris and other people that really like his overall game and then final pick of, the, of our mock draft here at 3.12 uh, there's a couple wide receivers that are a little bit higher on my board but i haven't had a chance to pick a uh, a tight end yet so i wanted to get one more tight end out there and my next tight end on my board is dawson knox out of old miss i think he's a guy the nfl is going to be very high on i know he doesn't have the production numbers but that's just more product of, of how old miss used him Tested out well at his pro day. Didn't run the 40 at his combine, but he did do the drills. I think the NFL is going to be intrigued with his skill set. Can attack the seam. Can make plays after the catch. Good route runner. Shows a willingness and a toughness to be a, a decent blocker. I think he's a guy who's going to probably be around three picks. So tight end premium was willing to take a shot on him uh, to kind of round this out. So there it is. 36 picks, three rounds in the books. Superflex, tight end premium, deep dynasty league. Guys, this was really just a great exercise of getting some names out there, talking about these guys, getting different opinions and different takes. That's why I really wanted to have you on. And for listeners of this, if you if you look at if you heard some picks and you're like, oh man, I don't like that pick. I hate that pick. This class, though, is still really deep, guys. So even if there's a handful, four, five, six, seven picks that you were like, oh, I would not make that pick. There's a lot of guys that you could just take that guy out and put somebody else in. I mean, from Emmanuel Hall to McCauley Hardman to Terry McLaurin, Stanley Morgan Jr., Jalen Hurd. Those are five more wide receivers that could have easily been in these top 36 picks. 
at running back, you have some interesting names like Dexter William and Raquel Armstead and Travis Homer and, you know, some versatile guys like Tony Pollard and Miles Gaskin, and then a couple more tight ends in a tight end premium, such as Cahill Warren and Josh Oliver. So even if there were some picks that kind of made you scratch your head, there's a lot of other names that could have been filled in there. Uh, to make a whole nother round up in terms of how deep, and I think those guys are all quality players that that could make a name for themselves, and a bunch of those guys could even sneak into the top 100 picks in the NFL draft. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I want to kind of go around the horn for you guys to give a parting shot. Make sure you let the audience know where they can follow you on Twitter. If you're working on anything that you want to kind of push out there to the Saturday Sunday audience, uh, please do so. So, John, let me start with you first. Thanks, Paul. I had a blast tonight. This is so much fun. There's nothing I'd rather do at this time of the year than do fantasy podcasts on NFL Draft Prospects. So I really appreciate it. Please follow me on Twitter at GridironSkull91. I could not afford the A and the R. I did not have enough extra cash at the time. So GridironSkull91. And check out Andy and I do NFL Draft Profiles. They're on YouTube. Just search NFL Draft Profiles or expand the box score and check out. Right now we have 40 players, each one between six and seven minutes, and check out our analysis. Guys, they're they're great. I love watching them uh, when I see a new one uh, put out there on Twitter. I definitely check it out. Really great insight uh, to hear their takes on these guys. Andy, let me swing it over to you. Again, thanks so much for coming on. Greatly appreciate it. Let the audience know where they can find your work uh, and find you on Twitter. Yeah, my pleasure. It was an honor to be here with you guys, some of the sharp minds in this whole thing. So I, I was happy to join you guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at People's Pen, People's with the Z, but really just search my name, Andy Singleton. I believe I'm the only one that comes up on Twitter. So you should be able to find me that way. And uh, John and I do do the videos. I talk fantasy baseball throughout the year as well. So uh Dang you. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you guys also uh, get over there, get expand the box score, really great resource uh, that really is helpful in evaluating these players and and seeing so much deeper of an analysis uh, on these guys. Tim, let me shoot it over to you. Uh, Thank you so much again for joining us tonight and uh, let everyone know where they can find your work. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at TimNFL. I do... I don't do written content, but I do uh, audio content under the helmet and also UTHDynasty.com. I'll actually be doing some uh, Patreon work with Chad. So we'll be trying to be a little bit more Patreon focused so that we can we can cater to our subscribers and people who actually want to hear about something specific. Uh, this day, this week we did a deep Dynasty dive into Alan Robinson and his, his overall value in the Dynasty community. Uh, and I also do... Uh, some writing for the Browns wire. So I was covering when Odell Beckham Jr. was nice enough to be traded over to the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> and keep, keep uh, digging it in, keep digging it in, pulling the knife in me. I was thinking and, the same. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I am helping out at the draft wire. So a uh, very, very exciting time of year between the draft. And of course, Odell Beckham Jr. Joining the Cleveland Browns <laughs> from the New York giants. Uh, yeah, guys, make sure you're following Tim and checking out all his work, listening to the podcast as well 
Guys, if you're enjoying the content that Matt and I have been putting out, please get over to the website. Quickest way to get over there is ssfootball.com. Purchase the premium notebooks for $9.99. You get access to all four notebooks, the scouting notebook, uh, 100-player profiles in that, scheme fits, uh, draft projections, traits, weaknesses, all that stuff. You get the rankings notebook. It has our draft-eligible rankings on film. It has our Debbie rankings. It will have our Dynasty rookie rankings. And then still to come, two more notebooks released in April. The freshman notebook, which will help you in your Debbie League's uh, profiles on probably the top 25 or 30 incoming freshmen. And then the draft projections notebook, where I have a tab for every single player. I mean, every single position. Over 400 names will be in the notebook with where I expect them to go from everything I'm hearing. Uh, some traits and strengths on all of those guys. Uh, and then a tab for what I project to be the first 32 picks taken the top 100 picks, and then my best guess at every single pick in the NFL draft. It is the best way uh, to uh, help us out and continue to uh, support what Matt and I are doing. Also, if you miss out, please go back and check one of the more recent Fantasy Pros podcasts. I was uh, uh, able to be a guest on there and join uh, Mike and Bobby and do a full round one real NFL mock uh, mock draft. So we made the picks for all 32 teams uh, in the for the NFL draft as if we were picking as their general managers. Really great show. A uh, lot of discussion on the prospects, not only offensive prospects, but some defensive guys, obviously, as well, who will make up a big bulk of round one. So with that said, on behalf of all our guests, John, Andy, Tim, for our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, Thank you for joining us, and I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.